Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. If you guys have a Bible, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, second book of the Bible, 19th chapter in the second book of the Bible um, in our series, Milk and Honey. And we're talking about the substance and the sweetness of the story of God. And uh, if you've been with us, this has been sort of the theme uh, of this series. We've been talking about creation and commission, rebellion and redemption, and then new creation and commissioned Again, and this has been sort of the the melody of the of the Bible. This is what's happening over and over again. Now, contextually, where we're at in Exodus chapter nineteen, God has delivered the people of Israel out of slavery to the Egyptians, and now He's leading them to a land where He will make them a nation. So they're not a nation yet. They're not like an established people. They're just descendants. Remember, we meet Abraham, and then he has Isaac, and then he has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And these 12 sons, uh, their names are known for the 12 tribes of Israel. As they continue to grow, they become people groups, like they're millions of people. And they follow their lineage down from these 12 uh, sons the 12 tribes, and now these millions of people that were enslaved to the Egyptians are now being led out where God is going to take them into their promised land. But before they get to the promised land, they make a pit stop at Mount Sinai, and they spend um, over a year at the foot of this mountain at Mount Sinai, and that's sort of where we find ourselves. So Moses is an important character. He's the deliverer. He's the leader of the nation of Israel at this point. There's no monarchy. There's no political system set up. So it's just Moses and then a cloud that represents the presence of God in the daytime and a pillar of fire. Now, I don't know what a pillar of fire is, okay? I don't know if it's like a big column and there's fire at the top, like a torch. I don't know. Is it just like a big flaming circle? I don't know, okay? I can't tell you what a pillar of fire is. All we know is that in the daytime, God's presence would be represented by this cloud. And then by night, God's presence would be represented by this fire. Have you ever seen any of those AI-generated photos of what this would look like? It's pretty trippy. Um, So that's what's happening. So they're parked at Mount Sinai. Moses is the leader. And now God is instructing Moses and the people of Israel what it's going to look like for them to be a nation. Okay? You with me? You guys feeling good? You ready to learn a little bit? Ready to have some fun a little bit? All right, Exodus chapter 19, we're going to read quite a few verses, um, and I'm reading from the NLT because I think it flows a little better for this section, but Exodus 19 says this, exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Time out. That's metaphor. It's not literal. Right? God didn't, he didn't do like that Gandalf scene where eagles literally showed up and flew him. He's just using a picture. Does that make sense? Okay. We didn't skip the chapter about eagle's wings. Because I know we've talked about giants and we've talked about all sorts of strange stuff. We didn't miss the chapter on eagle's wings. Just making that clear. Um, And brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. 
and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together all the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Um, Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothing. Be sure they're ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as the people watch. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Don't go up the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up the mountain. So, Moses went down to the people. He consecrated them for worship. They washed their clothes. He told them, get ready for the third day and tell them to stay from having sexual intercourse. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from the ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it uh, in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick uh, kiln and a whole mountain shook violently. And a blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed to the top. Then the Lord told Moses, Go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. But Lord, Moses protested, the people cannot come up to the mountain. You already warned us. You told me, mark off a boundary all around the mountain to set it apart as holy. But the Lord said, go down and bring Aaron back up with you. In the meantime, do not let the priests or the people break through to, the approach, to approach the Lord or he will break out and destroy them. So Moses went down to the people, and told them what the Lord had said. Okay, do you guys follow all that? So, in case you didn't, I'll just give a quick little recap. God calls Moses up Mount Sinai, the people at the bottom, they've set up camp. Now, imagine, there's millions of people. It's like a huge, it's a whole group of people. They're set up tents, they're, they're getting like established there. They've just left Egypt, they have no place to call home, right? They, they're, they're, they're wandering in a desert and at the bottom of this mountain. God calls Moses up. He says, all right, I'm, I'm going to instruct you. But before I do, go down and tell the people, don't come up the mountain. Okay. He goes down. All right, God's going to instruct me. You're going to hear him. You're not going to see him, but you're going to hear him. Um, but don't come up the mountain. Got it? Okay, got it. Got, he goes back up. All right. Okay, now tell, go back down. Tell them don't to come up the mountain. And they, they got to cleanse themselves. They got to purify themselves. Okay. I'm going to go down, purify yourselves, wash yourselves, stay in from one another. Like, let's do this whole thing right. Okay, got it? Got it. Goes back up. All right, you ready? I'm going to talk to you. You ready, Moses? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, go down one more time and tell him, don't come anywhere near the mountain. And he's like, uh, I already told him twice. He's like, just one more time. So he goes back down. He tells him, don't come anywhere near the mountain. 
Now, I want to talk about really one idea from this because we're, we're talking about the story of the Bible. We're, we're kind of following not just chronologically, but the overarching theme of what is the Bible all about? Because like we've said from the beginning, it's 66 books, but it's, not, but it's also one book, but it's a library of books, but it's all telling one major story. There's one big movement that's happening throughout the Bible. And ultimately, it's this idea about creation and commission, rebellion and redemption, and then creation and commission again. And we're right in the thick of this redemption part of the story. Most of the Bible is about redemption. The the creation, commission, rebellion happens in chapters 1 through 3. From chapter 4 of Genesis all the way through basically the rest of the Bible is God's plan of redemption of redeeming humanity back to himself, back into right relationship with him. And so this creates a really important moment in the story, even though it seems kind of random, right? We're talking about like, okay, Moses running up and down the mountain. Like how long did that take him? Like it's probably not just a hill. It's probably like a full-on hike. He's like, are you kidding me, God, again? Like he's got to do this whole thing three times in like just a couple days. You guys ever been on a hike? It's not easy. Most hikes I've been on, I'm like, this is far enough. You know, like, we don't really need to finish this thing. This is, yeah, we're good. I get mountains, hills, waterfall. We got it. Let's go back. So this is the, so what's happening in in the story? Why is this important? My, My message title, and this sort of gives us an idea, is this idea of kingdom of priests. This is what we're going to talk about. Kingdom of priests. In Exodus chapter 19, where we're at, all the way through Numbers chapter 10. Okay, so Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 10. Okay, so that's a good port. That's almost three books of the Bible. We're camped out at Mount Sinai. So for, for a year and a half, for this whole long period of time, they're camped right here at Mount Sinai. And in this section, God introduces his law in three parts. Okay, he introduces his moral law. In other words, how to live set apart. He introduces his civil law. In other words, how they're going to live as a nation. And he introduces the religious law, how to worship and serve God. Okay, so the moral law, the civil law, and the religious law. Now, chapter 19, I think I have it on the screen. It kind of breaks, breaks it down for us. Chapter 19 through 24, we have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is, do we have that next slide? Perfect. Uh, 19 through 24 is the Ten Commandments and general instruction. Okay, so if you're reading through your Bible, 19 through 24 is general instruction. Chapters 25 through 27 were introduced to the tabernacle. The tabernacle is where they worship God, okay? Chapter 28, we see the priest's clothing, an entire chapter dedicated to what the priests are going to wear. Pretty interesting. Not really, but sort of. Um, Chapter 29, the priest's ceremony and sacrifices, what they had to do in order to, uh, uh, in order to, worship God. And then chapter 30 and 31 is the Sabbath or the rest day for all people. Now from there, through Leviticus and part of Numbers, they are implementing God's instructions. You tracking with me? So we've got God beginning to give his instructions, his law, 
the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, the civil law, how they're going to behave as a nation, and then the religious law, how they're going to worship God, how they're going to sacrifice to God, the priests, what they're going to wear, what the priests are going to do, all of that kind of stuff. And they do that for a very long time. They don't leave Mount Sinai until Mount Numbers chapter 10. Okay, so this is all that's going on. Now, why does that all matter? Why am I telling you all that? You're like, this feels like so irrelevant to the story of the Bible. Because God is in the middle of his plan for redemption. And he's doing it in two ways. One, he is daily redeeming his people through his presence and his ways. He's daily redeeming his people through his presence and through his ways. And he is slowly redeeming all people by making a people and a lineage to bring his son into the world. Okay? So he's daily redeeming his people through his presence and through his ways or through his law. And he is slowly, slowly and sort of as time progresses, redeeming all people, not just Jews, not just the Israelites, but all people by making a people and a lineage to bring his son into the world. So that's what's happening. Right? He's, he's daily and slowly redeeming all people. And this goes back to God's original promise. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said this. He's speaking to the, the serpent, to the, to the deceiver. He says this, I will put an enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And listen, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's this, there's this picture of the cross. There's this picture of the redemption plan from Genesis chapter 3. Right? The serpent's going to strike his heel. It's going to seem like it's going to be an injury to, to God's plan for redemption. That's Jesus on the cross. Right? Where, where all of hell and all of the enemies of God think, we just crucified the Son of God. We won. It's over. We just, kill, we just killed God. And then what happens? Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead putting death to death, taking the sting out of sin and making a way for all people to have relationship with God. He says, okay, you're going to bite his heel, but he's going to crush your head. So that's Genesis 3. And he is fulfilling a promise in Genesis 12. Listen to this. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Listen, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, so 12 chapters in, we see not only what God's going to do. He's going to crush the head of the serpent, but also how he's going to do it. Right? He's going to take Abraham. He's going to make him a nation, and they're going to bless all nations. Now, up until this point, are you guys with me? Exodus 19, they're not a nation. Right? They're not a nation. They're just a, a bunch of ex-slaves wandering in the wilderness. Like, that's not a kingdom. That's, there's no military. There's no politics. There's no police. There, there's, no, there, there, there's nothing. They're just a group of slaves that are now living in the wilderness. And God is now making them a nation. How is he doing it? Well, we saw it in just those few verses, two verses that we read a moment ago. Look again at verse 5. It says this, this is how God's going to do it. Now, if you will obey me and keep my commandment or keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all peoples on earth for all the people belong to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Three important phrases that we're going to see here. Number one, he calls them his special treasure. 
You will be my special treasure. God chooses them to be his, that phrase, special treasure. What does this mean? What does it mean, God's special treasure? It means that God wants to have a personal relationship with them, and he wants to make himself known to them. The creator of the universe wants to have a personal relationship with people to show his love and his goodness to, and to shape them into people that carry his love and goodness. The way that we know God, the way that we have relationship with God, is through faith and obedience. The way that we, God is choosing these people to be his own special people. And the way that we have relationship with God is through faith and obedience. And faith has always been the message of, of relationship with God, even from the beginning. The way that we know God is through faith and obedience. For them, for the Old Testament, the people in this context, it is through faith in God, through the law. Okay, the way that they had relationship with God was by faith in God through the law. You'll hear people make arguments about God and they'll suggest that the Old Testament God and the New Testament God seem like two different characters. You ever heard somebody say that? That like the Old Testament God is like angry and powerful and then like the New Testament God is nice and kind of soft. Like New Old Testament God is like rage, like Fire and brimstone, open up the earth and swallow people whole. God of the New Testament is like, ah, just turn the other cheek. And you're like, wait, what happened? Did something change? And because of that, because of this misunderstanding of how they think God works, they also think that the way that you know God was different. And the Old Testament is all about do, 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 do. And then the New Testament is just like, ah, just hang out and you're fine. What's going on? No, faith has always been the message. Faith and obedience. For us in the New Testament, post-Jesus, we have faith in Jesus, right? We have faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross that allows us to have relationship with God. In the Old Testament, they had faith in the law. They believed that through practicing the law and being obedient to the law, obedient, that's the key, obedient to the law, they would be made right with God. It wasn't a different system. It was a different substance of their faith. Are you with me? Faith in the law for the Old Testament, faith in the Son of God in the New Testament. God is always the same. It's not like God changed his mind or changed his formula. It's always about faith and obedience. And he wants to know people and he wants to bring his plans into the world. Listen, we know God through faith. For them is faith in the law. For us, it's faith in Jesus. Now, what's faith? What are we talking about? Well, faith is trust in God. Right? Faith is to say, I am choosing to listen to God, and I'm choosing to put God's ways above my own ways. Trust is a dependence on something, right? Like, this is a stupid illustration. I think every pastor has ever done it. But all of you guys placed trust in those chairs when you sat in them, right? Most of you guys didn't, like, check the sturdiness of the chair, right? You're like, is this, I don't know. I had Chick-fil-A before I came. Like, is this going to hold me? No, you just plopped yourself down. I was on a flight recently, and uh, we were, it was called Breeze Airways. It's like a new airline, and we were flying the cheapest flight, and uh, really, like, kind of close. The, the like, um, headrest was really low. It was, like, in a weird place. It threw out my neck. I know that just means I'm old, but I was like, oh, whatever. it doesn't matter. The person in front of me was this, like, probably 15, 16-year-old kid, 
probably like 6'4", and he got up to use the bathroom. When he came back down, he literally like all, just sat like, and like shook the whole thing. My computer was on my uh, like tray table and flew off. And I was like, I like gave my wife a look like, jeez, like this kid. And the dad like turned around. He's like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. He's like, he just had a growth spurt. He does not realize how tall he is. That's what he said. He's like, I'm so sorry about this. I'm like, oh, man, it's no big deal. It's fine. My computer's fine. Don't worry about it. But, like, he, the kid didn't, like, check the, the stability of the chair before he dropped all six, five of himself onto it, right? There's just trust. This chair is going to hold me when I sit down. That's faith, right? Faith is saying all of my life can be held in God. Above my feelings, above my circumstances, above my ambitions, above my goals. All of my life, my weight of my life can be held by God, when we choose to listen to God's ways over our own feelings. Listen, God is making them his special treasure. In other words, God wants to have personal relationship with humanity. The same is true for us. God wants to have personal relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to be invited into your life. He wants to reveal himself to you. In other words, he wants to show his ways and his plans and his goodness to you. And in the same way, he wants to be close in relationship with you. So he's making them a special treasure. Secondly, he says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. This idea of kingdom of priests is a people that would participate in his ways so that they could bring his love and justice into the world. God's way from the beginning is never to just do things himself. Now, God could do everything himself, couldn't he? He doesn't need any human participation. Right? In fact, when, if we go back to the beginning of the story, remember, God spoke all things into being. He took the dust of the earth and he formed the first human. Like, God doesn't need people to participate in what he's doing. Right, like even, even in like post-Jesus era where we're called to go out into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and do the whole thing, right? Don't you think that if God used some other means other than people, it'd probably be more effective? Like sometimes I'm like, why doesn't God just like, just do it? Why don't he just like take over and just be like, all right, guys, I'm God. It's me. And y'all are sinners, and you need me, okay? Like, let's just, let's just speed this thing along. God doesn't need human participants. God could do it absolutely by himself. But his plan from the beginning was to participate with his human image bearers. From the beginning, God's plan was to be in, in partnership, in partnership with his human image bearers to bring his goodness and his love and his justice to the world. Listen, he wants to know you, but he also wants to participate with you in order to bring that goodness into the world. Now, the priests, they had to be set, uh, personally set apart. They had to be consecrated. We read about that a moment ago through ceremonial washing, through certain activities they avoided or participated in. The priests had to put other people's lives above their own. Right? The, the priests didn't own land. They served uh, the other tribes of Israel. They lived to help others encounter God. The, like the priests, their existence was to be a blessing to other people. And listen, this is so interesting. God wants all of his people to be this way. 
Because as the story progresses, we know that the Levites, one of the tribes of Israel, remember there's 12 tribes of Israel, one of the tribes of Israel, God chooses to serve uh, the other tribes, the Levites. And from the Levites, from the descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother, you get the priests. Okay, so it's very complicated. It's very complex. It's very, like, specific. Are you with me? Like, it's, there, there's an idea. There's a goal. There's, like, a reason. And then yet in this verse, God says, I want my whole nation to be a kingdom of priests. Because all of his people, listen, would serve as priests to the world. They're all set apart to God and all a part of God's plan for redemption. There's no second class follower of Jesus. What I mean by that is every person has a part to play in what God's doing. God doesn't like pick favorites where he's like, ooh, do you know what, honey? You got it. I'm going to use you. Everybody else, I don't care so much. You matter just as much as the next person when it comes to what God is doing. And part of you and your story is that God has uniquely placed you to minister in places that others can't. Right, like God wants you to be a kingdom of priests, all of us to, to bring his goodness and his justice and his love into the world. And part of your story is you're going to be in places that others of us won't be at. Right, only you go home to where you go home to, apart from your siblings. Like only you go to your workplace as you. Right? Only you have that open door. Only you are in that class. Only you have those specific followers on Instagram. Only you have this life. And part of God's story for you is to be his priest in that setting. God's created a kingdom of priests, no second class Christians. All right, point number three. We'll wrap this up. You guys with me? I know this is kind of dense, but is it making sense? All right, point three, holy nation. That's the third thing he says. He says, I want you to be my special treasure. I want you to be a kingdom of priests, and I want you to be a holy nation. The idea of holy nation is to be set apart from the rest of the world. This nation, the nation of Israel, is going to look, look and behave different than everyone else. Now, God had both personal and corporate ways of doing this in their worship, in their government, in their practices, in their personal living, God had personal and corporate ways of setting them apart. And all of it was designed to do that, to make them different, to make them other than the rest of the world. And that's the idea of holy. Holy is to be, set, to be separate or other. It's not common. It's not, it's not like regular. It's not like every day. It really carries the idea of holiness, otherness. It carries the idea of being set apart for specific use, like the game ball or fine china. Like it's like you don't warm up with the game ball. You don't use the special china just for every meal. It's set apart for something specific, something different. It has a designed purpose. And this is the calling for Christians. You're called to be set apart. Well, what does that mean? It means you're not regular. You're not for daily use. It's just not, it's not, we don't just throw it in there. It's not vanilla. It's not regular. It's something else. It's something special. It's something different. And part of the way you're set apart is by not looking like the world around us. 
That means we act different. That means we respond differently. That means we go through difficulty in life different than other people. It means we work different than others. We do all things as under God. We try our best. We say, okay, I know I don't really care about this class, but as an act of worship to God, I'm going I'm to give it my best. I know I don't feel called forever to say my pleasure at Chick-fil-A, but this is where I'm at right now, and I'm going to do it all for the glory of God. Like, I, I, I don't, I, I'm sorry, that wasn't a roast, I'm just saying. Um, I, 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 we're, we're called to play differently. Like when, I, when I'm on the, the sports team or I'm, or I'm at practice or wherever I am, I'm doing all things as under, uh, under God's glory. Even if I'm on the bench, even if I'm not starting, I'm saying that, God, this is for you. This isn't just about me. We're to be set apart. All things in life are supposed to look different. And what that means is we're called to not compromise. Compromise looks like when we know there's things that God's calling us to do and we either don't do them or we, th- we know things that God has called us absolutely to stay away from and we do do them. Compromise. And compromise can come in all sorts of ways in our life. Right? Compromise can come in little ways like by who we follow on Instagram and it sort of it deteriorate, deteriorates our sort of conscience the Bible talks about searing our conscience where the things that we used to be convicted of or for, now we don't even think about anymore. It's just daily. It's just normal. It happens through who we follow on Instagram or the music that we listen to or the movies that we watch or, or, or the things that we partake in or even the surroundings we find ourselves in. Compromise. And part of being called, part of being a holy nation Being set apart is we're saying, I'm not going to compromise even though everybody else is compromising. Just because everybody else is doing it or living that way, I know that I'm called to something other, something different to be set apart. Let me talk to you for a moment. Listen to me. You're called to be set apart, different than the rest of the world. And that doesn't mean, like, it doesn't mean, like, you're going to have this, like, a billion followers and you're going to make a gazillion dollars and you're going to be this, like, oh, my gosh, you're so set apart. Wow. That's not the idea. The idea of set apart is in my everyday life, I'm going to live different. In my everyday life, I'm going to just, I'm going to just do the extra work for the glory of God. Like I'm going to, okay, I know homework sucks, but I'm going to do it for God's glory. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just those little things that make a difference in your life that actually call you and create you to be set apart that actually brings God's kingdom into the world. That's the way we do it. We're not to look like the world around us. Why? As a sign and a hope that there's a better life available through faith in Jesus. This is the message that the Old Testament law teaches. In a world that treats others as property, devalues women and children, where the strongest survive, God establishes a kingdom of priests called to be his redemptive workers in the world. In a world that, that is, is all about self, that is all about getting ahead, that's all about possession and power and, and stomping on other people, God establishes a kingdom of priests called to be his redemptive workers in the world. And that goes for us today. 
In a world that's, that's fighting for attention, that's stepping on other people, that, that, that is, is like flashes in a pan where one day it matters and the next day you're canceled or whatever it looks like, God calls you as a kingdom of priests to be his redemptive workers in the world. How are you redeeming the world around you? How are you redeeming the world around you? How are you making it for the glory of God? There's power in how you live your life. It doesn't, it's not meaningless. Even if you don't do something, quote unquote, meaningful, it doesn't make your life meaningless. Are you hearing me? Like, just because you don't like change the world, like just because you don't invent like the cure for cancer or you don't like start some nonprofit that feeds 40 gajillion people. I'm like all over it with the big numbers tonight. <laughs> I don't think any of them are real numbers. 40 gajillion people. <laughs> like just because you don't do that doesn't mean your life doesn't have impact or power. God wants you to use your life. 